If you'll remain standing for the reading of today's sermon scripture, you'll find it in Luke 2 and 2 Corinthians. It's also printed there in your bulletin. Hear now the word of the Lord. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. And from 2 Corinthians, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers that keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Congregation, this is the word of the Lord. Oh Lord God, we come expectant. We come excited to hear what you have to say to us this morning. So often we have heard things from the world telling us this or that, and most of it is depressing, most of it is not hopeful. But we come to you, O Lord, the God of hope, the God of strength, And you have said that you would be with us. So now, Lord God, as we prayed at the beginning, we pray that you'd be with us. And we pray that you'd be with Pastor Andrew as he's bringing this message that you've first given him. And I pray that you would be working in each of our hearts to penetrate the hardness that may be in all of us, the distractions of the world about us, and that by the end of this time together, as we celebrate and we go out into the world, that we'd be people changed to be more like Jesus. Lord, we we ask that you would speak to our hearts today. And we thank you that we can be assured that you are with us as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you. Well, good morning. Joy to open God's Word with you this first Sunday of Advent. Uh, Advent, for those of you who aren't familiar with it or aren't aren't used to swimming in some of the waters of the Christian calendar, Advent is the first season of the Christian calendar. It's, uh, It's not Christmas per se, but it's the anticipation of waiting for Christmas. Uh, you know, so often we, we mark our lives by various calendars. We have the seasonal calendar. We look out and we see it's springtime today. Oh, I mean winter. Uh, yeah, so we, we do those things. We mark, our, uh, we mark our lives by our sports calendars. It's football season or it's baseball season, these types of things. 
Uh, one of the reasons to use the, the Christian calendar is that we, we begin to mark our lives by the story of the gospel. You know, so in Advent, we, we wait, in, in Christmas, we celebrate uh, the, the coming of the Christ child. Uh, Epiphany, it goes out throughout all the world. Lent, uh, Easter, we remember the, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. So all of these things gives, gives a shape to our lives and helps us to enter into the story. So encourage you with that, you know, particularly as we come into this Advent season, my prayer is that we would engage it with a sense of, you know, very different than the commercial holiday, which sort of encourages busyness and bustling and going out and shopping and all of these other things, uh, but a sense of, of waiting and anticipation and listening um, I think those two things sometimes can coexist together, but there is at least an encouragement here uh, to be open and, and to allow the, the gospel to, to penetrate our hearts. You know, part of what we would say today, and you know, my sort of main idea, as you see in your bulletin, is that Advent Celebrating the, the coming of the Christ child, the, the longing that comes with that, uh, it, it reconnects us to a lost glory. Uh, we are, over the course of the next several weeks, going to be unfolding this idea of glory. Glory is a very common word in, in the New Testament, the Old Testament. I think in the Septuagint, it's used like 466 times. So that Septuagint is the, the Greek translation of the Bible, translating different words, but very common. Uh, you've come into glory, we've sung, we've used that word. But how often do we really stop and think what glory means you know what what was it that the shepherds saw when the glory of the lord was all around them and they were afraid what was it that the angels were proclaiming when they said glory to god in the highest so we can't do that all today uh, but we are over the next few weeks and and right up until christmas eve going to be poking at this idea of glory and, and seeing if we can expand our own experience and, and understanding uh, of the idea of glory because part of the premise is uh, we, we don't see it clearly. We, we, we struggle to see it. We're a little bit like the 67-year-old woman who went in because she was having problems with her eyes. She thought it was dry eyes. She thought maybe her cataracts were, were flaring up and, and she needed some attention. So she went to the ophthalmologist. The ophthalmologist took the speculum, separated the eye, and then noticed uh, a blue mass inside of her eyes and picked at it a little bit and, and lo and behold pulled out a glob of contacts. 27 uh, in particular were in this one eye. She had been wearing contacts for a numbers of years and uh, every now and then she would feel like she had lost a contact. So she was like, oh well, and just went on, put another one in the next day. Eventually she had this blue mass of 27 contacts in one eye. You can imagine it's difficult to see. Yes, your eyes would feel irritated, but in a certain sense, I, this is the way it is for us with regards to glory. 
We, we think about glory in so many different ways. You know, glory of the gridiron, glory in the music hall, glory in the classroom, glory on Instagram. We, we think of glory in so many different ways, but it's, it's like we're accumulating contacts in our eyes and we're not seeing clearly. And so part of what we want to, what we want to uh, move towards is an invitation to allow God uh, in this season of Advent to help us to see glory in the way that it came to the earth so many years ago. So today we're going to focus on this idea, idea of the veiling of glory. Uh, because, you know, in terms of the main idea, Advent came to reconnect us to lost glory. There, there's a premise that we were made for glory. Uh, we're going to explore that in a couple of different ways as, as we go this morning. But, but something along the way got lost. And, and I want us to try to just enter into that, approach that, see if we can maybe understand it, feel it a little bit. Uh, but first of all, what is glory? So let's, let's just start there. Glory is, uh, on, the, on the one hand, a, a weightiness, the substance of a thing. In fact, the, the Hebrew word for glory is kavod, which, which means weight uh, or fatness. Uh, again, there's a, there's a substance to a thing that, that gives it its meaning. Now, we can begin to think about this, especially when we think about God. You think about all of the attributes of God. You think about His holiness, His justice, His mercy. You think about His omniscience, His, his all-knowing, His omnipresence, all-powerful, or all-present, uh, His omnipotence, His, his all-powerfulness. Uh, and, and there is a substance to that, and we, we call that His glory, you know, the, all of these things in their perfection. Herman Bavink, who is a, a, a theologian, says it's his infinite, indescribable perfection. Uh, oh, <laughs> sorry, I couldn't read my writing. It's his infinite, indescribable perfection with all of its beauty, of all of its attributes. This is, this is the glory of God. So, so there's a substance to it. Part of what we also understand is that we too uh, bear a, a glory, and, and this is where we're going. We're going to talk about this over uh, the course of weeks, that, that we do not have the glory of God in the same sense that He does, but we as His image bearers were created with glory. And, and so part of you know, the problem is that we get separated from that. And so uh, Advent comes to reconnect us with lost glory. The second question that I want to deal with today, and this is in some senses the, the bulk of where we want to reflect today, is why is it that this glory is veiled? So why do we struggle? If, if we were, if God, if this is who God is, and, and we were created to reflect God in all of His glory, what happened? Why, why is it that, that the glory is veiled? I want to give you sort of the Goldilocks version of why his glory is veiled. Too hot, too cold, and too satisfied. Uh, so, too hot. Th there is something that's different between us and God. 
Uh, and, and so when we come into contact as, as humans, uh, particularly as humans that have sinned and fallen from our original state, when we come into contact with the glory of God, it's, it's too much for us. It's, it's too hot, as it were. You see that here in the, in the shepherds even. When the glory of the Lord shone around them, some of you know the old King James, they were sore afraid, right? They were, they were afeared of, of the glory. And this is kind of consistent throughout the Scriptures. Uh, we see it in, in the glory that inhabited the temple and the glory that inhabited the Ark of the Covenant, as people would come into contact, particularly in a cavalier way, the, the glory would come out and consume them. We see that in places like Leviticus 10 with Nadab and Abihu, Uzziah, uh, the priest who goes to study the Ark. Uh, other encounters with God, when you would see the glory, would, would have the, the effect of really humbling the person. So you think of Job, who had laid out his case before God. He got the answers of his friends until finally he gets the answer of God. God comes to him in the whirlwind, and what does Job say? He says, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes uh, because my eyes now have seen your glory. And, and, it, and it caused him to sort of recoil against himself. Or you think of Isaiah when he gets the vision of God's glory filling the temple. What does he say? Woe is me, for I am undone. For my eyes, uh, for I, I, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Or you think of Peter when he sees, you know, he walks with Jesus all of these years, and, and then he sees Jesus with this great catch of fish, and he recognizes that there's a power there, there's a majesty, there's a glory uh, that is inhabiting this person. And he says, depart from me, I, I am a sinful man. God, when He is revealing Himself to Moses back in Exodus 34, remember, he, he allows His glory to pass in front of Moses, but in order to protect him, He puts him in a cleft of a rock, and He shields him with His hand, and only allows him to see the backside of His glory, lest it kill him. You see, there, there's something that is different about God. He is, he is wholly other than us. And, and so when we think about His glory, part of, part of our, our struggle with that, part of our problem with, with glory is that we are not God. Uh, he, is, he is so much bigger than, than we are, and it's difficult for us to approach, certainly to get our minds around, but even to stand in the presence of his glory. Affiliated with that or connected with that, but really somewhat on the opposite side of it, is that we are too cold. You, you really saw that in the passage that we read or that Ken read for us, uh, the second passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Here, here Paul specifically talks about the gospel being veiled. And if it's veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So part of our problem, it's not just that we are different, but that we are in a, a battleground. 
that we are in an age, we are in a world where there are forces that are arrayed to keep us from seeing the glory. Uh, the, the God of this world is actively at work so that you don't see the glory. The eyes of our mind, the eyes of our heart are blinded, as it will, so that we cannot see the glory. For some, this is uh, unfortunately an ultimate state. Uh, the eyes of those who are perishing, it says there in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, there will be, you know, surrounded by all of these things that speak to the glory of God, whether it's creation, whether it's the beauty of the snow on the trees, whether it is the, the beauty of, of long human interaction where we see uh, perseverance of a husband and spouse or good friends over the years. We see forgiveness. We see uh, forbearance. All of these things. We, we refuse to see it or we can't see it. And we don't attribute it to the work of God in our lives. You know, our eyes are blinded because of the work of Satan that would help us or that would inhibit us from seeing the glory that God has put in His world. Now, part of this we have to recognize you know, there is an ultimate aspect to this. Uh, and and it, this is one of the great sadnesses that we have, that there will be some people who never see the glory, uh, who never recognize what God is doing. For many of us, so this is not an ultimate state. This is, uh, you know, a state that we fight through. Yes, Satan is at work seeking to obscure the glory. Yes, uh, you know, we, we see the interference that is around. But the Holy Spirit helps us. Uh, to see and appreciate the Holy Spirit comes upon us, uh, much like the angels came upon the shepherds and reveals to us in a moment the glory. And this is really what we pray for in Advent, you know, that we might penetrate the distortion and, and that we might see the glory of God. The third thing that I'll just mention in terms of being veiled in terms of the glory, too hot, too cold, you know, the, the third, Goldilocks, Goldilocks finds the porridge, and it's just right. Well, there can be a problem with just right, uh, and, and in this case, we're too satisfied. We're too satisfied with the things that we find in our world. Maybe you remember the call to confession this morning, where it talks about how we become enamored with the things that we find here. In this world, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. This is Romans 1. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So now it's not so much Satan obscuring the truth, but it's our own hearts suppressing the truth. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. You see, we exchange the glory that God has uh, planned for us. We exchange the glory that God has placed into this world for uh, images that point to glory, uh, but they are not glory itself. We become too satisfied 
with the things of the mortal plane, and we don't allow our desires uh, to be satisfied by the immortal plane. So, let's take a couple of examples of, of what the apostle means by that. He's talking, in this case, Romans 1, about sexuality. Uh, sexuality being one of those things that's meant to point us to God, point us to intimacy, point us to uh, uh, love and care and tenderness that we have in our relationship with God, but, but we settle for something that, that's less than that, that's more banal, that's more carnal, that, that, that doesn't get as far as God wants us to go. I mean, yesterday was a, a day full of, of big games and cheering for our team and, and crying with our team as they yet again failed uh, to, to move the ball at crucial times or celebrating with our team. Uh, so, but what, what is that? When you have a stadium of 107,000 people, it, it's a picture of glory, but it's not glory itself. You can achieve so much glory on the, on the gridiron or on the basketball court or in the music hall or in the classroom, but, but if that's all it is, but our hearts are so hungry for it, we want to connect to it either as, as spectators or as participants. You know, we want people to like us. I mean, this is what our Instagram and Facebook and all of these things, we take the picture and then we wait to, to be recognized and we want to see the glory come in. But as one writer put it, we, we settle for the puddles of glory. When, when God's glory is an ocean, and, and, and He wants us to desire the greater thing rather than just settling for the smaller thing, that we wouldn't exchange the glory of the immortal for the signposts of the glory that exists here on earth. One writer uh, puts it this way, he says, we trade the weight of glory for a shot at going viral. Our ambitions, uh, the arc of our ambitions, uh, hug too closely to the earth. They, they don't, they don't elevate into those things that we were created for, into the things that, that God would bring us, the things that God has designed His earth to shout uh, and for us to share. Here's where we find ourselves. We find ourselves obscured by glory. We've added all of these things. We can't see well. We can't really appreciate what it is that God is doing. And so, He comes at the incarnation. And, and what is the first thing that we are told when the shepherds see the angels? This is the glory of the Lord shown around them. And they were afraid because they recognized that they were different. They recognized that, that there were things in their lives that obscured. But the invitation of the angels is to reconnect glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among those whom He is well pleased. This is what uh, is being exposed to us, is that while we struggle with glory. We were made for glory. 
while we struggle with, with wanting to find all of the likes that we can, we were actually made to be loved, not by many, but by one. And this is really our hope. I mean, you heard a little bit of that in that Colossians 1 passage, to hit them, the saints, that God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, this is what Advent is about. Jesus came, God uh, decided in the councils of peace amongst himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that, that the second person of the Trinity would come, that he would wrap himself in flesh in order that we might be reconnected with the glory that we were made for, the glory that is lost, the glory that we, we long for. But we could never get there on our own. This is what God knew. Because of our enemies, because of our rebellious hearts, because we are not God, the, the stairway from earth to heaven, uh, it, it, it doesn't get completed going this way. We can never do enough, whether we are an elder brother or a younger sister. We can never, you know, moralize our way to heaven. We can never do enough works. We can never find enough pleasure uh, outside of the gospel that is going to connect us to glory. It had to be that Jesus himself came down, that Jesus himself wrapped himself in flesh in order to restore the glory that we've lost. And, and this is actually part of the glory of God. So it's interesting to me, again, thinking about why glory? You know, why is it that, that glory is connected with the incarnation in, in, such a, uh, in such a foundational way? Part of it is because glory is something that continues to unfold. One writer puts it this way, the glory of a thing is the magnificence of true being, full unfolding and flourishing of who they are and what that thing is. Uh, so glory is something with regards to God and with regards to ourselves uh, that is still unfolding before us. Like it, it's not finished in terms of what we can see uh, Frederick Beekner says, glory is what God looks like when, for the time being, all you have to look at Him is a pair of eyes. You, you see, there's a, there's a sense of fullness that is continuing to expand. You think about the glory of a rose, and it starts out as a bud, but then it blooms into full flower. This is what's happening in our world right now. This is what's happening at the incarnation, uh, that the glory of God, who is perfect in all of His attributes, uh, is displaying more of His heart as He comes to earth, as He wraps Himself in human flesh, as He empties Himself, according to Philippians chapter 2, uh, taking on human flesh, becoming obedient, even obedient to the death on the cross. You see, the glory of God is not simply the perfection of His attributes, but it's His willingness to subjugate those attributes to put them aside as it were, we've got to be careful with the theology there, 
into a state of what we call humiliation in order that He might redeem His people. This is the glory of God. And this is what God is inviting us to connect to. Uh, you know, we think about glory only in terms of, you know, what we can achieve and how we can be recognized. But God says, I have all that. And I am going to humble myself. And I'm going to come. And I am going to reconnect you to lost glory. Brothers and sisters, you know, part of the question that comes to us this Advent season is, do we see it? Have we received it? You know, are we living with an attitude of heart that is surrendered to your absolute need in such a way that you recognize that for the glory of God to be revealed, this had to happen? Like there was no other way. God had to humble himself, take on human flesh, go to the cross, become sin for There was no other way. We were too lost. Glory was too obscured. This was the only way for it to happen. But when we receive that, when we surrender to it, when we stop trying to do it on our own, whether we do it through righteousness or whether we're doing it through a profligate living, whatever it might be, when we stop trying to do it on our own and we surrender, we realize the greatest love that has ever existed. That is of our Creator for those who He not only created, but He also redeemed. And that's our invitation this Advent season to allow the glory of that God to come and to fill us and to know that. It's interesting, too, when we begin to think about that, you know, the, the way of humility is laid before us. It, it will transform how you deal with those around you. How do you, how do you serve those on a day-to-day -day basis uh, who are difficult to serve? You know, whether it is your kids or your parents, <laughs> whether it is uh, your friends or the folks at work, how do you do that? It's only when we come close to the glory of the incarnation that we begin to sense what God is doing and why the angels were saying, glory to God in the highest close with words from a poem by Lucille Clifton. I don't fully know the state of her soul. She's relatively modern. She was a poet laureate uh, in Maryland. She talks about the light that came to Leo, Lucille Clifton. A and see if you can't connect to this in terms of our invitation this Advent. The light that came to Lucille Clifton came in a shift of knowing when even her fondest sureties faded away. It was the summer that she understood that she had not understood and was not the mistress even of her own eye. She could see now the peril of an unexamined life, so she closed her eyes, afraid to look for her authenticity. But the light insists on itself in the world. A voice from the non-dead past started talking. She closed her ears, 
but it persisted, and it spelled out in her hand, you might as well answer the door, my child, for the truth is furiously knocking. Brothers and sisters, as we approach this Advent season, may we recognize with Clifton the peril of the unexamined life, and may we, may we answer the door because the truth is knocking and allow our hearts to be filled with the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for how it comes to us uh, in this moment, in this time. Lord, we recognize that our own foolishness and our own frailty has separated us from the glory that is to come, the glory that was, uh, the glory that is even now. But we pray in this Advent season that you would create space in our own hearts and lives to once again uh, reckon with the glory that comes in a, the frailty of a child, uh, the frailty of one who has, uh, who has allowed for the, the frailty of human flesh uh, to characterize a life. Lord, we pray that you would do this for your glory, uh, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.